Out front next, Trump takes the stand and gets slapped down by the judge. So did the former president and GOP frontrunner do himself any favors today with the jury? Plus, the RNC trying to bully Nikki Haley out of the race as Trump threatens her supporters. One of those Haley donors is out front tonight. Are Trump's threats backfiring? Plus, anti-Semitism festering online in China and the country's strict government censors letting it go. Why is China turning a blind eye? Let's go out front. Good evening, everyone. I'm Erica Hill in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, Trump testifies. The former president taking the stand in his defamation trial involving E. Jean Carroll. His testimony stricken from the record more than once when his answer veered from the original question. The judge also admonishing Trump for saying, quote, I never met the woman. I do not know who this woman is. It's important to note here, Trump has already been found liable of sexually abusing Carol and of defamation. This trial is to determine how much he must pay now in damages. It's a case that has long consumed Trump, according to his former White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, who wrote about Carol's initial allegations in her book, writing, quote, Trump was doing his usual routine when accused of misconduct. She's a liar. She's gross. Do you think I'd be with that? And on and on, mostly attacking her physical appearance rather than the I would never do that to my wife line. You're going to hear more from Grisham in just a moment. But first, Paula Reed is out front live outside the New York courthouse. Paula Trump already posting on social media after this court appearance. What's he saying? Good evening, Erica. Well, shortly after court, Trump took to Truth Social to say he would rather be campaigning than in court. But Erica, there's nothing stopping him from campaigning. He is not required to attend this case. In fact, he did not attend a single minute of the trial in the spring when the allegations at the center of this case, allegations of rape, were litigated. But now, in the 2024 campaign season, he has attended much of this trial, using the media attention to try to frame himself as the victim. Former President Donald Trump brought his 2024 campaign to a New York courtroom today, briefly taking the stand in the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial against him. After days of speculation about whether he would take the stand, Trump answered questions from lawyers for about three minutes. Judge Lewis Kaplan and Trump's lawyer Alina Haba spent more time discussing what Trump would be allowed to say than he spent on the stand. Haba said she would only ask her client three questions, and after Trump was sworn in, they largely stuck to that plan. Haba asked, do you stand by your testimony in the deposition? Trump replied, 100 percent, yes. Then she asked, did you deny the allegation because Ms. Carroll made an accusation? Trump responded, that's exactly right. Yes, I did. She said something that I considered a false accusation totally false. But the judge, kept strictly to the plan, cut Trump off, saying everything after yes I did is stricken, which means the jury cannot consider it. Habba's final question was, did you ever instruct anyone to hurt Ms. Carroll in your statements? Trump said, no, I just wanted to defend myself, my family, and frankly, the presidency. Then Carol's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, was allowed to cross-examine Trump. She asked, is this the first trial with Carol that he has attended? Trump replied, yes. 
her question, a reference to the fact that Trump never attended the spring 2023 trial, where a jury considered Carol's claim that Trump raped her in a department store in the 1990s. They're very happy. How do you feel? The jury found him liable for sexual abuse. The current trial deals with 2019 statements Trump made about Carol after she wrote her story in New York Magazine. She is seeking $10 million in damages, and candidate Trump has attended much of these proceedings. This whole thing is rigged, election interference. Often using the trial to frame himself as a victim, even though most of the controversy in this case stems from Trump and his lawyer refusing to follow courtroom rules that apply to everyone else. They should be thrown out. And I frankly am the one that suffered damages. I should be given money, given damages. Tomorrow, both sides will present their closing arguments. Then the jury will get its instructions. And the judge says he expects the case to be with the jury by lunchtime, which means we could get an answer on how much Trump has to pay Eugene Carroll before the weekend. And for Trump, even though he says he'd rather be campaigning and is not required to be here, he is expected to attend again tomorrow. Erica. So making the decision to be there in court, Paula. Appreciate it. Thank you. Out front now, Stephanie Grisham, former Trump White House press secretary and former ambassador, Norman Eisen, who of course served as counsel to House Democrats during Trump's first impeachment trial. Stephanie, um, first I want to start with you. What did you make of Donald Trump's brief testimony and his behavior in court today? You know, uh, Judge Kaplan has really ruled his courtroom with an iron fist, which I understand he's always been like that. He's very strict about following the rules and decorum. I think that actually he was intimidated by the judge. I think that the judge has he's been watching as the judge hasn't let his attorney, Alina Haba, get away with much. Um, he's been reprimanded many times for trying to speak loudly enough for the jury to hear. And so I think he actually was a bit nervous, honestly, when he took the stand and didn't want to do anything that would get him thrown into jail because... For all of the bluster you get from Donald Trump, I can guarantee you he's terrified of that thought. Um, one thing that really I thought was interesting is that, you know, it's been reported when he walked out uh, or off the stand, he said, this isn't America. And I immediately thought to myself, no, this isn't your America, where you have no consequences for, for your actions. This is actually what America does. We have a judicial system that holds you to account when you've done something wrong. Uh, it's, it's an interesting observation. Norman, you look at what happened today in court. Do you think Donald Trump helped or hurt himself in front of the jury today? Uh, my expectations for the former president were low, uh, but I think he did no harm to himself at a minimum. And he did manage to, within the tight confines that were established, uh, to uh, support his case. Even though the judge struck it, I thought that that statement that I was just trying to protect myself, my family, and the American people, that could have some resonance. Look, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence against Trump here. He's facing some very large numbers. His one hope is that there's a sympathetic pro-Trump juror on this panel that will negotiate those numbers down uh, maybe even do jury nullification, refuse to go along. So uh, he uh, attempted to substantiate that Hail Mary pass. I still think he's looking at a large, large verdict. We will be uh, watching and waiting to see what ultimately the decision is. Trump, uh, rather Stephanie, 
when you were working for Donald Trump, he spoke to you in the Oval Office about E. Jean Carroll, about these allegations. Uh, you write in your book at one point, you just deny it, Trump said. That's what you do in every situation. Right, Stephanie? You just deny it. It does seem to be a well-worn playbook for the former president. Is it one that he uses no matter the situation, no matter the allegation, just deny? Absolutely. Uh, that those, those There were two lessons he uh, imparted with me with communicating to the American people. You just deny anything bad that's said about him, and then you just keep repeating anything he wants you to say, whether it's a lie or not. Um, he absolutely said that. He said, just deny it. And, you know, he, of course, uses it. Look, he's denying that he won or that he that he lost the election. So this is in his playbook. It's completely normal for him. You know, the facts are, though, that he's already been found liable by a jury for sexual abuse. And so this is just now how much he's going to have to pay for it. This is just again, it's just his playbook to constantly deny anything that he has done actually wrong. And Norm, what do you imagine we'll hear in terms of closing arguments tomorrow? Well, on the. Uh side uh, of the plaintiff, uh, you will hear about the harm established, particularly through the testimony of E. Jean Carroll herself, the devastating uh, uh, personal, professional uh, and security uh, risks and, and injuries that she's suffered. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear an appeal for uh, a large compensatory damage number in excess of $10 million and a punitive damages finding uh, many times that number, multiples of that number. On the part of uh, Mr. Trump's lawyer, you'll hear that E. Jean Carroll uh, uh, benefited from this. They already signaled that argument when they were commencing the case. Um, you'll hear about the evidence that uh, came out today in the form of Carol Martin, who Trump's lawyers called, that uh, E. Jean mm -hmm. seemed to be enjoying it. Now, that was a two-edged sword, uh, and the, uh, the witness said she regretted some of the comments she'd made in writing, and they weren't accurate. Uh, but that's the back and forth. I think the plaintiffs have much the better of that argument. This was devastating. And E. Jean Carroll herself, a very effective witness. Big dollars probably lie ahead. Norm and Stephanie Grisham, appreciate you both joining us tonight. Thank you. Out front next, Trump on the verge of derailing a bipartisan deal to tackle one of voters' biggest issues, one of his biggest issues. And it's leaving some in his own party fuming. He doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. Plus, first on Out Front, we take you to a secret underground command center for Ukrainian forces launching an attack to keep a crucial town out of Putin's hands. And Nikki Haley ignoring calls from Trump to on Trump on down, frankly, to drop out of the race. So could the RNC now force her out? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, derailed. Donald Trump doing his best to kill a deal on his signature issue, the border. The former president tonight acknowledging on social media that in his words, our country is in serious trouble, citing open borders. But it's apparently not serious enough to deal with those borders now because he went on to add, quote, a border deal now would be another gift to the radical left Democrats. The former president has been privately lobbying Republicans to vote against the bipartisan deal in Congress, a deal that one source says had unanimous GOP support. That is until Trump got involved. Here's how that push from the former president is playing on Capitol Hill. The fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. I don't see how we have a better story to tell when we miss the one opportunity we have to fix it. And we go and say, you know, I would love to have fixed it, but it was election season, so I thought I'd wait. I think this is when, when members of the Senate have to show some courage and do something that at the end of the day will be very helpful to President Trump. Strong words, but Trump's may ultimately carry more weight. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell admitting that Republicans are in a bind here. Many of them loathe to upset Donald Trump. Don't forget, though, this is not just a border security bill that Trump is actively trying to squash. It's also tied to much-needed aid for Ukraine, which, as Fred Plykin reports, is literally a matter of life and death for Ukrainians. And I do want to warn you, some of the images you're about to see are graphic. A U.S. provided Bradley infantry fighting vehicle almost single-handedly stopping a Russian assault near Avdivka in southeastern Ukraine, pelting the Russians with tracer rounds from its powerful 25-millimeter gun. Vladimir Putin's troops pinned down, unable to advance. This is just one element of Ukraine's efforts to hold Avdivka, run from underground command centers in secret locations. The Ukrainians have given us access to their command bunker for this part of the front line. From here, they organized part of the defense of Avdivka. It's rarely calm here, they say, the Russians assaulting nearly all the time. A Russian tank with a small group of troops shows up. The Ukrainians track their movements. And these two soldiers, probably from an already decimated unit, cowering in a trench, aware the Ukrainians have spotted them. They hit the Russians with a kamikaze drone, but they survive for now. The commander tells me Russian losses here are staggering. They use a lot of equipment. We destroy a lot of equipment, he says. A lot of infantry assaults. They expend people. They step over each other, don't provide assistance. It's true. There's a lot of infantry equipment and meat assaults. From the many drones monitoring the battlefield, we see the bodies of dead Russian soldiers frozen amidst their destroyed vehicles. The command post also directs artillery and rocket strikes and even counter-assaults with ground forces to clear trenches and stop the seemingly endless waves of Russian infantry attacks. Fortunately, they have a lot of losses, he says, yet they do not stop. But Avdivka will be ours. They will not succeed.
But Ukraine's American-provided guns could go mostly silent soon if Congress doesn't end its impasse and pass additional military aid, President Biden says. I think the vast majority of members of Congress support aid for Ukraine. The question is whether or not a small minority are going to hold it up, which could be a disaster. And that could have major effects for the Ukrainian troops fighting here. And Erica, of course, all of that is already having effect on the Ukrainians as they're suffering increasing shortages of ammunition. They say right now the Russians have an advantage in manpower and in firepower, but the Ukrainians are also saying in most places they are able to hold the line. Erica? Fred, appreciate the reporting. Thank you. Out front now, retired Army Major General James Spider Marks. General, when you look at this, so Fred was really focused there on Avdivka. This is key in this moment, the epicenter of the fighting in Ukraine. When you look at it, Zelensky has said the outcome there could really sort of determine what happens. It is crucial. What do you see happening, especially when you see what Fred was showing us? Well, what's just been defined is the nature of key terrain, where it gives holding that piece of terrain, owning that piece of terrain gives an advantage to one side or the other. Both realize its importance. Advitka just to the north and west of Donetsk, would provide the Russians a facilitated movement for logistics into the land bridge, in toward Mariupol, and then further into Crimea. Holding that makes it that much more difficult and gives the Ukrainians an advantage to go after now a maneuvering Russian force that doesn't have this direct line into that area. That's what's key about that. So it's absolutely important that whoever goes after that not only has to take it, but then you have to hold it. That takes time. As we're watching all of this play out, and we're talking about the funding that is not happening in this moment, President Zelensky has invited Donald Trump to come to Ukraine. I can only imagine how closely he is watching this election as it really ramps up here in the United States, because it will determine not only aid, perhaps, for Ukraine, but possibly the outcome here. Oh, totally. I am sure he was dialed in two days ago on what was taking place in New Hampshire. He has now a much clearer, Zelensky has a much clearer picture, as does Putin, about what this potential election is going to look like in November. And the world's trying to determine whether President Biden was a one-off or President Trump was a one-off, or are we going to get one of those two individuals reelected? If it's a Trump re-election, Zelensky has legitimate reason to be concerned. President Trump has indicated that he's probably going to dry that up. I would think on day one of his new administration, if he gets elected, would be a phone call to President Zelensky and says, hey, man, we we got to figure this out. There's got to be a negotiated settlement. And I would think he would have preceded that call with a call to President Putin Mm -hmm. saying, stop what you're doing. We're going to let you keep. We're going to work it out. Keep what you've got right now. 20 percent of Ukraine. Stop and hold. But we're going to stop the killing. And we're going to stop the support. So Donald Trump has said, look, I could end this, this war in 24 hours, right? I that's could make those calls. Realistically, could that happen, though? Even that scenario that's being laid out, how realistic do you think it is that there's well, an agreement? There may not be a November determination of that outcome. Mm. If, if Zelensky, if, you, if the Ukrainian military runs out of bullets, you run out of options, you are now into a legitimate stalemate, and Russia will assess that on the ground, not just hear what our Congress does, but will assess it on the ground. What's the volume of fire? What is taking place on the ground? And then, as we've indicated, and Fred has demonstrated with this incredible reporting, Russia's just gonna pour good soldiers after bad. He's got the law, Putin has the law of large numbers, and he'll put more manpower on the front and try to create a breakthrough. 
That's what we're talking about right now. This is the, this is the critical, this is the inflection point yeah. upon which all else hinges. We will be watching. Always so good to have your perspective, well, your you. expertise, and so nice to have you in studio tonight, too. Thank, thank you very much. You. Appreciate it. Out front next, Senator Tim Scott, who's regularly at Trump's side, vying to be his VP. You may recall some things he said in the past, including this about Nikki Haley. And South Carolina is better because we have Nikki Haley as our governor. So what changed between the two? Plus, more trouble for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, now about to be subpoenaed. Tonight, the RNC is considering an unprecedented move to formally declare Donald Trump the presumptive GOP nominee. CNN obtaining a draft resolution circulating right now. Keep in mind, of course, this comes after only two states have voted, accounting for 2% of delegates. It is an aggressive step to try to force Nikki Haley out of the race. Trump, of course, has been pushing her to drop out, even now going so far as to threaten her supporters, saying anybody that makes a contribution to her campaign from this moment forth will be permanently barred from the MAGA camp. Haley firing back with new campaign T-shirts, you see the one right there, that read, per barred permanently. One top Haley supporter says the campaign is already seeing a huge boost from Trump's post. Our website is barely keeping up with the thousands of donations that's coming in. And we really thank President Trump for that. Out front now, Eric Levine, a Republican donor who is backing Nikki Haley. It's good to have you with us. So this draft resolution from the RNC, what do you make of it? I thought we were opposed to rigged elections. I mean, the whole thing is preposterous. Why are you afraid of a fair fight? Get the delegates, then declare yourself the winner. We've seen, there has been pushback, as you know, right? You've seen much of it, not just from Donald Trump, but from others, including from some big donors to Nikki Hale, two pro Nikki Haley, two prominent donors pulling out. One of them saying, after New Hampshire, telling our Eva McKend, there's, quote, no path forward for her. I don't want her to continue and humiliate herself in South Carolina by losing by 31 points, going on to argue that she's got the cash. She could jump back in and say six months should something happen with Donald Trump. There are those numbers we see in South Carolina. She's trailing by some 30 points. She's not competing for delegates in Nevada. Does he have a point that maybe it could be time? Get out, save the cash, be ready. Well, that's not for them to decide. That's for her to decide. And I don't know what it means to be pull the cash out and be ready. You're ready when you get the delegates. If, if the idea of being ready is something happens to Donald Trump along the way, 10,000 people are going to jump in and run. If she stays in the race and she accumulates delegates, and there aren't enough delegates for others to, gather, to get to win, then it makes much more sense. But the bottom line is, that's her decision. He thinks she's going to humiliate, humiliate herself. I don't agree, but ultimately, that's up to her. I mean, look, I personally do not believe the country can survive another four years of Joe Biden. We're failing abroad. We're failing at home. The entire administration is a failure. We need to elect somebody who can win. I remain very skeptical that Donald Trump can win a general election. You referenced um, Bard from MAGA camp. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you can't go to Disney World. I just don't know what that means. But So there about, isn't a registration somewhere where you're going to be blacklisted yeah, and you're not well, allowed in? This is what you're telling me? Uh, it, it, the whole thing's preposterous. But think of this. I reached out to the campaign before I came. They mm -hmm. told me that they've raised over a million dollars since he put, put up that post. If you take a $100 average for a donation... And it's probably less than that. But mm -hmm. let's just say it's $100. That's 10,000 votes. 
Then you lay on top of that Marjorie Taylor Greene's statement the other day that she wants to purge the Republican Party of all the MAGAs. I mean, of everyone but MAGAs. You're leaving yourself with a very narrow path to victory, if at all. Think of this. 10,000 votes that Trump has said, please don't vote for me. He lost Georgia by 12,670 votes. He's basically saying, I want to lose Georgia again. So let's look at what the next four weeks look like, because four weeks until South Carolina is a long time, right? It's going to cost a lot of money to stay in for four weeks. What do you see those four weeks playing out as? What does Nikki Haley need to do to remain a contender? She just has to stay on message. There's a significant segment of the party, of which I am a part, the Reagan, Reagan wing of the party, that wants to see someone in that vein. And she currently is our champion. And as long as she stays in, I'm going to stay with her. If she loses at the ballot box, she loses at the ballot box. That's how it's supposed to work. Just dropping out and giving in doesn't make much sense to me. But it's ultimately her call. Real quickly, what if this resolution were to go through, this draft resolution? Oh, I think that'd be appalling. I think if if Ronna McDaniels allows that to go through, she should resign. All right, Eric, appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Harry Enten is out front now to go beyond the numbers. So, Harry, as we look at this, the RNC, this draft resolution that we're seeing circulating to formally declare Donald Trump, right, the GOP nominee, it's been 10 days. It's been 10 days. Since voting, it feels like a lot longer, my friends, doesn't it? Since voting began, has anything, has any nominee been settled this early on? This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. The earliest I could find on record on the GOP side was back in 2008 when it was March 4th. But of course, remember, there were a lot earlier contests that year. Super Tuesday took place in early February. Mm -hmm. This is unprecedented. There's nothing like it. You see some other dates on your screen when there were other presumptive nominees. April back in 2012. It was May back in 2016. The fact is, this is completely unusual. And I might proffer the thought, despite being a big fan of polls myself, people vote. Polls don't vote. It's a, Listen, it's an excellent point. Um, although we do love you talking to us about polls, yeah. Harry. Let's talk about other numbers. Let's talk about delegates. I mean, what is it? Maybe 2% have been awarded. How many delegates would a nominee need? Yeah, I mean, there are over 2,000 more delegates that need to be allocated. In order to win the nomination, you need more than 1,000. And the fact is, there have only been 62 delegates that have been allocated so far. We have a ton more contests to go. It's not just South Carolina. It's not just Nevada. Remember, we have to hit Super Tuesday in March. There are a ton of states, and the two states that have voted so far are two small states. We're talking Iowa and New Hampshire, which have very small populations. We haven't hit any of the Acela states. We haven't hit Illinois. We haven't hit Florida. We haven't dared hit California yet. This, to me, is, frankly, it's ridiculous. I get the idea that Donald Trump is so far ahead. But the fact is, as I said earlier, we should allow people to vote instead of just the polls, which do show Donald Trump up. He's probably going to be the nominee. But let's see some votes actually happen. You're saying let the process process play out. What's fascinating is this is not just, we're talking about this draft resolution, right? Because CNN obtained a copy of it today. But we have heard the calls growing, right? And we have seen the support, the number of elected officials lining up behind Donald Trump. Those numbers have grown. Those numbers have absolutely grown. You know, through this point in the process back in 2016, he had zero endorsements from members of Congress or governors. Right now, he has over 120 Nikki Haley has just three. Donald Trump likes to make the argument that he's the anti-establishment candidate. He's the candidate from outside of Washington. But the fact is, when you look at these numbers, he may not be part of the establishment, but the establishment very much likes him. And so to me, this is, you know, we're talking about rigged elections and so on and so forth. 
I would make the argument that Nikki Haley could potentially say, hey, Donald Trump is trying to rig the process for himself rather than Donald Trump making the argument that the process is somehow rigged against him. We will be watching and waiting to see how this all plays out. Harry, appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, what if the top voices calling on the party to unite around Donald Trump is Senator Tim Scott, now regularly seen by Trump's side on the trail, but he was once right by Nikki Haley's side in South Carolina. So what changed? Diane Gallagher is out front. And South Carolina is better because we have Nikki Haley as our governor. You're going to see the U.S. Senate become stronger because of the results of Tim Scott. What a difference a dozen years can make. I'm not campaigning against Nikki. I'm campaigning for the future of America. You know, obviously disappointed, but look, he's got to live with his decisions. At the center of this South Carolina split, Donald Trump. And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. Standing behind the former president, the man who Haley elevated to the U.S. Senate. Trump pointing to that history to attack his last remaining rival. I mean, did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? You must really hate her. No, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh-oh. I just love you. No, that's, that's why he's a great politician. Scott's endorsement of Trump marking a turning point in his and Haley's long history. I am appointing our next U.S. Senator to be Congressman Tim Scott. As governor in 2012, Haley chose Scott to fill the state's vacant Senate seat, making him the first black senator from the South since Reconstruction. He earned this seat for the person that he is. Back then, Scott effusively praised Haley as a leader. I can see with clarity the conviction and the integrity and the character that you govern with. But Scott insists that his backing of Trump is not a betrayal, noting Haley's own history with Trump. Let's not forget that President Trump appointed Nikki Haley to be an ambassador, so she's certainly campaigning against him. But will a new alliance... It is time for the Republican Party to coalesce around our nominee and the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Spoil Haley's shot in South Carolina. South Carolina is a blood sport. And I have dealt with the old guard and the fellows for a long time. Despite Haley being twice elected governor of the Palmetto State, she approaches next month's primary as the underdog against Trump. Voters we spoke with here seeming to give Scott the benefit of the doubt with his decision to pick Trump over Haley. To me, it, it doesn't show that he's necessarily stabbing her in the back as much as he's following what he believes to be the right course of action. I think it shows that Tim Scott kind of doesn't trust Haley, you know, like... She appointed him, and he still isn't picking her. So maybe he knows things we don't. This evening, I was speaking with a prominent Charleston Republican who told me that look, Scott's endorsement likely didn't sway any strong Haley supporter away from her. But what they did say this may have done, especially more than other big endorsers of Trump in the state, like the governor, for example, is that Scott's blessing for some voters, and they said particularly a certain type of voter here in the low country, may have given them permission that they can still be a loyal South Carolina Republican and also not vote for Nikki Haley. Erica, to quote Nikki Haley, South Carolina politics are a blood sport. <laughs> we, we seem to be hearing that a lot lately. That is for sure. Diane, appreciate the reporting. Thank you. 
Out front next, it is a CNN exclusive. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis about to be subpoenaed. We could upend her sprawling election subversion case against Donald Trump. Plus, a disturbing trend. Anti-Semitism surging on China's tightly controlled internet. For centuries, China has been the biggest friend of the Jews. And until recently, that's now all changed. So why the sudden shift? Could it be because of the United States? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis under fire. And according to CNN's exclusive reporting, about to be subpoenaed. Former President Trump also officially joining calls for Willis to now step down from his Georgia elections inversion case, pointing to alleged misconduct between Willis and her top prosecutor, Nathan Wade. CNN learning Willis and Wade are both expected to receive subpoenas to testify at next month's hearings on allegations the two misused funds meant for the Trump investigation. They are accused of using the money to take lavish vacations amid allegations of an affair. Nick Valencia is out front. Tonight, Fonnie Willis feeling the pressure. A lawyer who first leveled allegations of an affair and misconduct between the Fulton County DA and her top deputy, Nathan Wade, now wants her and others with knowledge of their relationship subpoenaed to testify in open court, setting the stage for a dramatic hearing on February 15th, which will be broadcast live. It's not necessarily the death blow to whether or not a case can move forward, but it's becoming a distraction and a circus. Uh, and that's what we're going to see, I think, at the hearing. Uh, that gets into this question. Both Willis and Wade have been facing criticism and even calls from allies as well as foes to step down from the case. Divorce court filings from Wade's wife, Jocelyn, show Nathan Wade's credit card charges for Willis, his boss, to accompany him on at least two out-of-state trips. In new court filings, Jocelyn Wade's lawyer is now also seeking a deposition from what appears to be a travel agency used by Nathan Wade. Well, sort of a bet of their own making. Prominent Georgia divorce attorney Randy Kessler believes Wade ultimately holds the power to get Willis out of testifying in his divorce case. I would think it'd be a mistake if Nathan Wade let her get deposed, and he controls it. He can give all the information at his deposition so that they don't need her and he can settle the case. He might have to give his wife more than he wants to. But it may prove more difficult for Willis to quash a subpoena that's expected in the criminal racketeering case against former President Donald Trump and his allies over their efforts to overturn the 2020 election. On Thursday, defense attorneys for Trump formally joined his co-defendants' efforts to get Willis and Wade disqualified and the case thrown out. Beyond the alleged romance, Trump's attorney Steve Sadow said the case should be dismissed because Willis prejudiced the public and potential jurors against defendants in the case when she said this in defense of Nathan Wade's qualifications. They only attack one. First thing they say, oh, she gonna play the race card now. But no God, isn't it them who's playing the race card when they only question one? In a statement to CNN, 
Trump's Georgia attorney said Willis's attempt to foment racial animus and prejudice against the defendants in order to divert and deflect attention away from her alleged improprieties calls out for the sanctions of dismissal and disqualification. Willis spent years gathering evidence against Trump and his co-defendants before issuing the historic indictment against them last year. And now she finds herself at the center of it all. Nick, any comment tonight from Willis or her office on these allegations? Well, beyond what she said in the church service, that speech that she gave two Sundays ago, no, she has not directly responded to these allegations, and neither has Nathan Wade, for that matter. And we should be uh, clear, we've given them several opportunities to comment, and they just haven't yet. Uh, look, Erica, this is more than just about an alleged romance between two consenting adults. This is about the potential of a misuse of funds, a public official giving out a government contract to an alleged lover, and she may have financially benefited from that. The judge in this case has given Willis until next Friday to respond in writing. Erica? Nick, appreciate the reporting. Thank you. Out front next, China's internet is infamously censored by the Communist Party. So then how do posts like this end up online? We'll tell you. Plus, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, a new CNN original series, explores the ups, the downs, and everything in between from her decades in the public eye. And we have a sneak peek. Tonight, a troubling trend, anti-Semitism surging on Chinese social media since the deadly October 7th Hamas attack, terror attack on Israel. The internet in China is, of course, heavily censored. Posts critical of President Xi Jinping and the Communist Party are usually removed swiftly. So why then would doctored photos of Israeli flags combined with swastikas, as you can see there, be allowed to remain? Well, some experts believe that is no accident. In fact, they suspect that China is exploiting the hateful content to hurt the United States. Will Ripley is out front. As the Israel-Hamas war rages, a battleground of opinions on China's tightly controlled social media. A surge of online hate, very anti-Israel and in many cases anti-Semitic, the Israeli embassy in Beijing says. Matt Trush is a Jewish American businessman living in China with thousands of followers on social media. For centuries, China has been the biggest friend of the Jews. And until recently, that's now all changed. CNN uncovered a hornet's nest of hateful content surging after October 7th. Criticizing Israel's military response in Gaza to the Hamas terror attacks. Some remain untouched by China's usually heavy-handed online censors. For a person like me, a Westerner, to post on China's TikTok, highly censored TikTok, I have to be very, very careful. And yet, these, these Chinese bloggers, these hate bloggers, seem to have free reign. Some online users combining the Israeli flag and Nazi symbols. Posted by netizens, the German embassy in China says the images are, quote, degrading to human dignity and calls the posters ignorant idiots or shameless bastards. Some people buying Israeli flags on Taobao, China's online shopping platform, just to step on them and post the pictures online. Even the Shanghai Jewish Refugees Museum, a longtime symbol of Chinese Jewish history, facing a flood of social media comments demanding its demolition. Adding fuel to the online firestorm, some state media outlets accusing Israel of committing war crimes, 
Beijing has not condemned Hamas, but has called for Israel to stop its, quote, collective punishment in Gaza. Experts even suggesting China may be using anti-Jewish hate as a weapon against Washington, Israel's biggest backer. It helps facilitate the Chinese government's uh, uh, foreign policy agenda, which, I mean, ultimately is to see the U.S. as the enemy trying to undermine China. She says recent statements by China's foreign minister Wang Yi suggest an ulterior motive. We have always firmly defended the legitimate rights and interests of Arab and Muslim countries. A deliberate diplomatic strategy influencing how Chinese citizens perceive the Israel-Hamas conflict. If there's one thing we know about Chinese social media, it is very tightly controlled. Even material that is deemed marginally sensitive to the Chinese Communist Party often gets censored. So the relative lack of censorship around this anti-Semitic, hate-filled content does raise questions tonight about whether this behavior is being at least tacitly approved by the Chinese government. And this, of course, raising concerns, Erica, amongst the Jewish community in China that this is now a new reality they have to confront. Yeah, great reporting. We'll appreciate it. Thank you. Out front next, Martha Stewart. Few public figures have had such extreme ups and downs and fewer still have enjoyed such longevity. A new CNN original series explores why. Tonight, the original influencer, Martha Stewart, domestic icon, self-made billionaire, former federal inmate. A new CNN original series explores her rise and fall and momentous comeback. Here's a look. Martha was about finesse, excellence, and perfection. There is no media personality, businesswoman, celebrity chef like her. She was sort of like an original influencer. All of those magazines and television shows. I think our standards are higher because of Martha. She's everywhere, Martha Stewart living. Her career starts to take off like a rocket. Martha is continually underestimated by male executives. You would read about it in the press, criticizing her. She wants attention, she wants power. She just doesn't want to stop. Martha Stewart is among those under investigation for suspected insider trading. Martha Stewart is being prosecuted not because of who she is, but because of what she did. Martha fell fast and hard. Today is a shameful day. The comeback was beginning before she ever left. She loves to be clever. She loves to surprise. And she loves to defy. If you'd asked me, would there still be interest in Martha Stewart 20 years from now? I would have said absolutely not. Boy, did I underestimate Martha Stewart. The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Cannot wait for that on Sunday night. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. AC360 starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.